Hello, everyone, and welcome to this waterlogged edition of Molly Movie Club. Oh, boy. <laughs> we are currently, if the, if the audio for this particular episode sounds a little more echoey than it should, it's because we've had to throw out the rugs from this room since a pipe burst and flooded our studio. <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> so we are currently waiting for replacement rugs to arrive, but basically... Uh, the floor is now tile, which is not ideal for recording, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. However, we have no choice because in order to put up an episode on Friday, we've waited as long as we could to record this one. Normally, we record way in advance. This is the day before. Uh, but this is the day before, so we're down to the wire and we, we can't wait any longer. So next week, hopefully, the rugs will be here and recording will be back to normal. But I apologize for any audio issues this time. So our movie this week is... Blue Velvet, directed by David Lynch. Yes, uh, we had a lot of fun with the previous David Lynch picture, which was Mulholland Drive, which I actually loved the second time around. I was lukewarm on it the first time I saw it, but it's definitely a movie that benefits from a second viewing. Mm -hmm. I was pretty excited to see this because I'd also heard an interview with David Foster Wallace, the author of Infinite Jest who had talked about how seeing this film was very, like, formative for him and, like, got him into, like, a a different headspace regarding, like, what is, you know, surrealism or what is, like, impressionistic work. You know, it's kind of interesting coming off of seeing Mulholland Drive is that you kind of expect this movie, Blue Velvet, to be a lot less straightforward than it kind of ends up being. It's pretty straightforward, actually. Um, yeah, I had actually seen this before in college in a film class, uh, but I didn't remember a lot about it. I did actually remember a lot of the visuals. The there's certain sets and scenes in this movie, like particularly her uh, apartment mm-hmm. with all the reds and the colors, mm-hmm. and the, it, it's very memorable. Yeah, I I was kind of mixed on the cinematography for this, uh, and I liked everything they were trying to do. But for whatever reason, the actual color composition, it could be just the quality of the film or just the budget of the picture or who was doing the lighting. A lot of the scenes just felt off in terms of just like an overall contrast, color temperature, like everything did it just wasn't quite in that zone. It never quite got in the zone of where I thought the picture looked really great. I could see that it was attempting to look great. But it never quite hit that for me. It, 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 you know, I could see that some shots had really interesting color blocking going on, but it didn't look that good to me because the actual quality of the of like how it was lit and filmed just did not quite click. Does this make sense? What I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, especially, I think since Mulholland Drive felt pretty on point with the visuals, uh, it could just be that it well, it's older. But I, yeah, I don't know. Possibly lower budget, too. I mean, whenever you're shooting on real film, which everything would have been in those days, right? You know, it's expensive. Um, yeah. So, you know, that I don't really know. I'm not going to try and suggest why because I haven't looked at it at all. But it just it never quite hit that hmm. for me. So okay. visually, I was half and half on this movie. I I felt like the raw materials were there, but I don't think feel like they were captured in a way that really had the impact I was looking for. In particular, when we're talking about raw materials, 
Uh, there's a scene in this movie which I thought was absolutely fantastic. It's probably my favorite scene in the film where they go to a place called This Is It. It's just got This Is It in it's it's uh, like one of a, f- a friend of the main villains, I guess, or okay. something. Yes, yes. Is this um, the, the Dean Stockwell character part? Yeah. Okay. And you've got this sort of absolutely ridiculous thing that they walk into and you know it's it's got this sort of long uh th- the, the like thin kind of uh you have that little like cigarette holder mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about yeah. i think those have a name but cigarette holder cigarette holder is all i know how, what, what to refer to them as uh smoking very like pale white they made him like almost like look like almost albino mm-hmm. with with how they made him up super ghastly ridiculous performance that was perfect and everyone else in the scene is ridiculous like everything in that scene was ridiculous including what the scene actually looked like it felt the most like a david lynch scene to me or what when i think of david lynch you know when i think of mulholland drive i think of those strange situations with really weird and memorable characters and this movie didn't have a lot of that but in that scene it did Yes, and I thought that that was a scene, I mean, separate from that part, I thought that that was also a scene that I feel like better cinematography, just literally, like, capturing that scene would have been better. It just felt off. The lighting comp, the overall, like, you know, exposure, just everything just didn't quite click. And, uh, And it was a little disappointing for me because I wanted to see the Stanley Kubrick quality filming of that scene right Mm -hmm. Uh, and i didn't quite get it so uh, as a whole i see i see what you're saying even just like the choice of shots they're very straightforward um they don't really enhance that sort of feeling that you're maybe supposed to be getting from the scene whereas i think at other points in the movie he shoots it in a more striking way maybe i mean just in general i felt like this was just pretty tame on the visual side of things definitely execution wise and so like the reason i brought up the this is it uh it's got a little neon sign that says this is it in the window i don't know what else to call it but uh was his name bob rob something like that he goes i don't remember ben ben Ben, i don't don't know something like that it was a very short name letter name his place i just didn't didn't feel like I was getting a lot visually from the movie in terms of that part of the execution, even though I felt like there were definitely scenes that had that visual imagination. Mm-hmm. They had made the scene. They just didn't capture it the way I wanted. I think I, I felt like the most creativity in the filmmaking was probably in the edits. I there agree. was a lot of uh, experimental, interesting cuts in the movie. Yes. That worked pretty well. And it was definitely experimental. Like, you could tell that David Lynch was, like, messing around with it, right? He's, like, trying to—he's just kind of experimenting, trying stuff. Um, yes. And that definitely worked. I—there are many times where I thought that was very well done. It's probably the most interesting thing about the movie. Yeah. Um, The opening of the movie, it's right in there. There's, yeah. like, a, yeah. a man kind of, like, falls over on his lawn. Turns out to be the protagonist's father, but you don't know that at the time. And then we just continue zooming into, like, the grass. And in the grass, we eventually get to some bugs that are, like, rooting around in the grass. And at the time, you're not really sure 
what that really means, but you definitely get the sense. It's it's evil. Like, you know, there's ways to shoot bugs that are evil and ways to shoot bugs that are good, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and yeah. it went evil. It gets dark. The the tone of the music, like the, uh, the accompaniment and what they're showing the bugs doing, it's just like kind of unsettling, which is exactly the point. But later we also find out that there's sort of like this overt metaphor that one of the characters talks about and it turns out that like bugs are central to that. They are like the bad thing that the birds later come and it's sort like of cleansing. clean up. Yeah. Right. So the bugs are sort of symbolic of this sort of rot. Uh, and there's this notion. And at the end, we get this little shot of a robin. It's a robin. Apparently. It's a I, fake robin. <laughs> okay. I can't identify birds, but she calls it a robin. So I'm assuming it's a robin. It was a, it was a puppet of a robin. Yeah. Okay. Robin puppet. <laughs> to be honest, kind of distracting yeah. a bad puppet. And like... Maybe that's the point because it's it's fake, you know, because I, I think that's part of my part of the weird thing about this movie to me is how straightforward it is, or at least on the surface is. Yeah. Uh, compared to Mulholland Drive. In fact, Mulholland Drive feels like it's almost kind of commenting on Blue Velvet in a way. You have the similar thing of there's two female characters, one with blonde hair, one with dark hair mm-hmm. that represent, you know, yep good and bad and darkness and light or and innocence and innocence lack and, of innocence and, and, if you yeah, will right like yes. the, or, or the polar opposite of, of yeah. innocence, right um but then mulholland drive kind of like subverts that and is like no that's not what this movie is that's just a lie but this movie blue velvet is committed to that right to, uh, to almost to a fault honestly for me it feels almost like too simplistic it, the fact that it like commits to the good and evil thing so strongly i don't know something feels a little off about it to me like i didn't want it to do that i didn't so, want it to be so straightforward i would agree with that i i mean agree with that i i have similar feelings it's, it's hard to agree with something that's sort of amorphous i guess yeah, but yeah. but i have a similar feeling as you do i think one problem is that we're watching these in the wrong order yes uh, <laughs> yeah. and I think if you were somebody at the time who had never seen Mulholland Drive or perhaps things that were Lynch-inspired movies in some ways, and I don't know exactly which movies those would be, but when you think about when Blue Velvet would have come out, if you'd seen it at the time, it might have seemed very aggressive. Yes, I what, totally agree. Totally right? agree. Right, because like, and and we didn't quite talk about all of. I mentioned the cut to the, not the cut to the the zoom to the bugs at the beginning. There's a lot of that stuff going on. Notable ones that I thought were really good. Uh, there's a time when the so so the the dark haired female, mm-hmm. the singer, the mm-hmm. nightclub singer, she uh, is sort of masochistic. She during sex likes to feel pain. This we learn, uh, and the protagonist is apprehensive about this. He does not want to hit her. Mm-hmm. She is asking him to hit her, and he won't do it. And then he does. Mm-hmm. And there's a like a basically just a instantaneous cut when he slaps her across the face, and it's like three things like in sequence. It's like the slap. I think it's like some fire or like a very like aggressive yeah. sort of like explosive image. And then there's her, just her lips 
sort of in this really delighted smile. Mm-hmm. And it, it With was... With, like, I think a broken tooth, a chipped tooth. I, I can't even remember. This. I don't even yeah. know if I caught all the things that were in there, right? And I thought that that was incredibly well done because it totally... So it's easy to convey the fact that a person likes violence during sex. I'm sure that's not hard. But to convey the visceral feeling of enjoying violence during sex is extremely difficult Mm -hmm. because conceptually I can go like, okay, like, you know, if you're not someone who enjoys violence during sex, you're you're basically like having to do an intellectual exercise. You're going like, oh, okay, the film is telling me that this person likes violence during sex. So now I know that cerebrally right Mm -hmm. but this series of cuts was really great because it got closer to like oh i get it like that's the feeling that it is when the person hit right and i thought that was really genius because i'm just like again it's one of those things where i don't know how you do that and then he does it and you're like oh that's how you do yeah right i think i think in general the scenes the the really like sensual sexual kind of scenes in her apartment with the main character are really effective they're very engrossing and very uh like i think what you just described which is like they kind of help you understand and believe what's going on with that with the characters right and yeah and i I honestly felt similar about maholland drive with the sensual stuff like he's really good at filming sort of I wouldn't say romantic unsettling unsettling yeah. sexual scenes yeah in both movies he does it really effectively I think they're really well shot actually those scenes as you just described with the editing mm-hmm. I think I do think the set is really important the colors the red of the walls and the carpet really kind of contribute to sort of this feeling of it, it's it's dark it's oppressive but it's also kind of warm. Harmonious, I guess. What you're yeah. like, like Everything's working together to give you this impression of what's going on, yeah, including and, the set. Yeah. And I think you end up you end up with pretty memorable scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And where, whereas I think some other scenes in the movie kind of maybe are not as interestingly shot or as well shot. Um, but I do think like there's another really m- memorable shot with the blonde girl uh, played by Laura Dern. When they're sitting in the parked car, literally in front of a church, and there's, like, organ music kind of playing in the background, and it's so over the top. Yeah. Right? That's the scene where she talks about the robin, right? She talks about her dream. Yep. Uh, and I think it's, like, part of it for me was, like, just a little bit much. It's like, at the end, there's a robin, and the, it's crushing the bug, and it's, like, so straightforward. And But maybe I'm like, well, it's a fake robin, and it's a transparently fake robin. And maybe that's the point. Like, maybe it's, like... This isn't actually as simple as as it seems. I guess I don't mind so much the sim- like. It sounds like you're objecting to just the fact that it was simple. I think it, in that I, way, I, but I, I don't. It, I don't. I didn't have that objection to it. I think, to be honest, I think it's just because of watching Mulholland Drive a few weeks ago. So uh, I wanted to mention one other thing on yeah. the cuts, though, before we kind of go off yeah, on yeah. that tangent, because there's actually a lot to talk about there too. The other uh, cut that I really liked was. When they left Ben's place, they're like, we're going to go for a joyride. And then all the characters just disappear from the room. Yes. I really like that because, again, it's just incredibly inventive to me. You know, I have not seen I've seen a lot of movies. I'm not a film historian, but I've never seen anyone do that. 
And it's just, it's an amazing way to convey that, like, there was this high energy, tense, and we left thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, one way to show that is just, poof, they're gone. Yeah. Right? And it, yeah. you, it doesn't strike you as odd. Be, like, David Lynch pulls that kind of crap off, and I think most people couldn't, but he does. Yeah. And so, the the like you said, the edit is where a lot of the inventiveness of this movie yes. lies I want to point something out before we move on because I am incredibly confused by it. When I watched the David Foster Wallace interview where he talks about seeing Blue Velvet, he said, and I remembered him saying this when we went to watch the film, he said, there is a scene where, and he called him the yellow man, Mm -hmm. which I assume refers to the detective who wears that bright yellow jacket. That's what the main character called him, the yellow man, yeah. Um, where he is shot, this is what David Foster Law says, he is shot, and then the detective is suddenly over the body. He just appears there. You can go watch this interview. I swear to God, that is what David Foster Law says. It is, Foster Law says, is on YouTube. Hmm. That never occurred in this film. Hmm. Two things. One, the shooting never really happens. He does, quote-unquote, shoot Frank, does, quote-unquote, shoot the yellow man in the apartment, but it's only when he's, like, already in there just wildly shooting around the room and the yellow man has had his, like, brain, like, cut open or something. I don't even really know what's supposed to have happened there. He's standing up, and he just kind of idly shoots at him, and he falls over, and then Frank walks to the... uh the closet. The closet to open it, right? And there's never a scene where the detective appears over anybody. The detective never appears due to a jump cut ever at all. So hmm. I am mystified as to what David Foster Wallace was even talking about. And I would love it if someone, anyone on the movie club who knows what the heck was going on in that interview, is David Foster Wallace nuts? Or did he... Or think is he there, saw something is there another is there, movie that has this that he confused with it or is there like a or, different cut of this movie I, like exactly that where we didn't watch like on a, a criterion version that's like extra long or something there is a criterion version that has 50 minutes of deleted footage that's separate from the movie so you can go watch it but it's not integrated into the film apparently so well, and probably back when david foster wallace had seen this you know stuff like bonus features and extra deleted scenes like that's a newer phenomenon anyway well, on you let know. me put it to you this way even if it was i don't see how the thing he's talking about could, could even exist happened. in the film because that guy doesn't get shot quote unquote in a way that could have somebody appear over him no matter what footage you edited into the movie unless you had I mean, a completely different ending that you shot my guess is he's he's misremembering confused, or I think. is thinking of a different movie or something i don't know i don't know wasn't there another shot in this film uh, I, I wish I could remember it. Maybe you'll remember it. It was mm-hmm. a match cut, but like a not a visual match cut, but like someone said a word and then the next it cut to like that thing. That's a little too vague for me, but yeah, uh, it, it was just it was a just another clever edit in this movie. Uh, There's I, a lot of them and they cut oftentimes mm-hmm. to the candle in her room flickering yes. out, yep. which was great. Anyway, all that was great. But to move on to the stuff that wasn't great. 
which you kind of alluded to and discussed some of the parts that you, you, you sort of set that up. Yeah. And to be clear, I don't think any of it's awful or anything. I think it's just not really what I'm looking for from David Lynch. Like it's it's almost like he's playing it safe and, and eventually he kind of lets himself be a little more David Lynchy like in, later on in his career. This you, felt you, a little safe to me. I want to say that uh, the the Roger Ebert review of Blue Velvet, which I can't remember, but I read it a while back. I think when we were doing Mulholland Drive, I read happened to read that I when I was you, looking at uh, yeah. And I mentioned it. I you did, yeah, I was gonna say. I think you mentioned this. Where yeah, uh, Dave, I think he said what you just said. He, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And You're I, in good company. I, I think it's I think it's true. I mean, it's like and and as you said before, at is you know seeing Blue Velvet for the first time at the time, not having known what David Lynch would make, fo- you know, following it. Um, but there's a lot in it that's pretty bold, certainly, right? So when I watched this in college, it was a, it was for a class called Sex in Film, <laughs> and I, I think. In that way, it is bold. It's it's showing masochism and and mm-hmm. violence in a really sensual way, mm-hmm. not in a way that that makes the viewer feel like repulsed, right? In a, in a way that draws the viewer in, right? And uh, it's dark. It shows it's it's yes. showing a real darkness that, and I think that's bold. And uh, I I think the most sophisticated stuff probably in the movie is does have to do with that masochistic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the way in which she's been victimized by Frank and the really interesting way that she then flips it around and does the exact same behaviors to, yes. um, I, I can't think of her main character's name. Is uh, it like Jeffrey? Jeffrey. That's it. Um, the way she turns around and does the same behaviors to Jeffrey. She says the same things to him. Don't look at me. Yep. Um, it's really that, that stuff is pretty interesting. I think I agree. And, I guess what I'd say about the rest of the film is that, unfortunately, I don't know that there's a lot else in this movie besides that. Right. And unfortunately, there is a lot of other movie besides that. A um, couple things I would mention, though, about that. I didn't like Dennis Hopper's performance very much. As Frank. As Frank. I think that a lot of the stuff with Frank doesn't work as well for me as it should, largely because there's no dynamics to Dennis Hopper. He's just loud. And I think if you had somebody in there who had a lot of control over their range, you know, like I'm thinking like Heath Ledger or somebody like this who does these kind of amazingly weird performances, I think a lot of that would have landed better because I believe screenplay-wise that this character was meant to be dynamic that sometimes he would be calm and then he would suddenly go to really un like that he would have this really wide, rapid oscillation. Uh-huh. It felt like that was what was supposed to happen. Like you might, okay, he calmed down, but then, oh no, he didn't, right? Like kind of a yeah, feeling yeah. to it. Where you're always not, you're not, never really sure quite when he's going to snap mm-hmm. and when he's going to regress, right? But, uh, Dennis Hopper didn't really wasn't able to pull that off for me. He was always turn, cranked to eleven. Yeah, and so I felt like that a lot of the stuff with him just didn't work that well for me. I liked what they were doing. I didn't think he was able to do it, and so that was kind of a bummer. I would say almost the exact same thing about pretty much everyone besides Isabella Rossellini. Like Isabella Rossellini felt pretty good in that role to me. 
she kind of was able to be dynamic and be in different headspaces and yeah, seem I mean, crazy. I, I think you can believe that she is like the choices that she's making are often contradictory. Yeah. And you can you can buy it like you can buy the decision she's making, which is, yeah, I don't think is super easy to pull off, honestly. No, and I thought she did a good job. Maybe some of that is because she's, you know, she has a foreign accent. So maybe she's able to kind of like skate a little bit more because you're not going to pick up as many subtleties or something if you're not, you know, I don't know. But I just think she did a better job in general uh, as far as how it came across. So Laura Dern, uh, Kyle McLaughlin, and Dennis Hopper, I didn't like any any of them. All three I thought were kind of lousy in this. And... You know, I like I said about Halloween when we watched it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's David Lynch's fault. You know, you you get who you get, and acting quality has gone up over the years as other qualities have gone down. It's easier to get a better actor for a role today, certainly than it ever was. I'm sure back then it's hard to get people to perform these things, especially if you're acting asking them to do kind of weird, complex sorts of stuff which David Lynch, even in this, which is not as complicated as Mulholland Drive, certainly, is asking them to do. Yes, definitely. And so I just don't think the cast was up to this movie. Full stop. I mean, I just don't think they were. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe it's David Lynch's fault, too. Maybe he was not as good as directing actors at the time. But I did not get that sense from Mulholland Drive. When I watched it, mm-hmm. I don't know if I had a complaint about acting in there somewhere, but for the most part... It was very good. Um, yeah. The acting was very compelling, and the characters were very interesting to look at and to listen to. And in this movie, it was precisely the opposite. The characters, besides Isabella Rossellini, were portrayed in ways that were very boring to Yeah, me. I think one-dimensional. I mean, I think this all, this, this all ties into what I kind of said my initial feeling was. It's like, this movie feels too simple. Yeah. And I think part of what you're responding to is also that. It's like... Those three characters you listed are all really one note characters. Yes. And uh the the uh Isabella Rossellini, is that what her name was? Yes, the actress. I think one of the reasons that she is so compelling is because she has such a range. There's so much else going on with this character. And uh because of that I don't okay, I disagree with that. I'd I'd pick a bone there. You don't think there's more going on mentally with this character? Uh, no, the opposite of that. So I agree that there's more. Go- there's a lot going on with her. I think there's also a lot going on with the protagonist. And because the acting is not good, you don't get that. True, true. I mean, I think, uh, yes, I think you're totally right because I think you get the sense that you're. he's supposed to be kind of this guy who's like caught between the good and the bad, right? And is drawn is drawn to it, right? He's drawn to the sort of allure of the darkness and is kind of bad to begin with and i think that's important right in other words this is a character who is actively kind of a voyeur he's he he enjoys and is drawn to invasions of other people's privacy Mm -hmm. and he i think I mean, I don't know, but I would imagine that the original conceptualization for how this would play out thematically is that there's a lot going on in him about, like, do I want kind of this dark sort of, like, 
twisted sense of sexuality and relationships or do I want a more traditional like I'm just dating the prom queen kind of life and it's very simple. I don't feel like we got enough of that from the screenplay. Mm -hmm. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more like I would have liked to have seen more of a sex scene with him and Laura Dern perhaps one that doesn't actually occur because of something like them playing spin the bottle at that party or something and being in a closet and what happens or something to show just the stark contrast between the two. Like, you mean you do get, you get you know? the scene at the party where they like kiss a bunch, but it doesn't give me any information about how that's going to be different than what happens with kind of the messed up kinky stuff mm-hmm. that he's doing in the apartment. Yeah. And you even get at one point, I think Frank says, like, you're the same as me or we have that same thing or yeah. something. And it's like he comes out and just says it. But I don't know that the the movie really fully kind of commits to that idea. And I don't know if that's performance because it does feel it feels a lot like the Jeffrey character is just kind of like caught up in stuff. But he feels like he has no agency. Even when he decides to go sneak into this woman's apartment, yeah. somehow that doesn't even feel like a choice he made. It feels just like, he, well, whoops, he ended up there. And yep. um, and from there on, it, he's very much just like a passenger in, in this movie rather than sort of like the main character who whose choices matter and, and mean things. And to me, I think some of that at least comes down to the performance. Like it feels like the performance of this character is so antiseptic. It's so drab. And also kind of innocent. Like he comes across yes. as so innocent. And it undercuts the yeah. actual things you see happening in the film. Like if he had been played more creepy, I think you would be weirded out that he's sneaking into this apartment and you'd feel more of that like, oh, this person's kind of going in a bad direction. And because of the performance, you're sort of insulated from that and you don't get those feelings. And that works against the movie to me. To me, I'm not not sure I would want him to be creepy either because I think like... I kind of like the idea of a character who appears innocent and naive doing these bad things. I think that works, but I think it's in order to make that work, you have to do something that this movie is failing to do. And I don't really know what that is, but yeah, it's just it. he ends up feeling antiseptic, as you say, kind of just like very bland as opposed to innocent. But a little too curious about some of these darker things. But he's not innocent. I mean, he's not innocent at all. So I think that's, this is why I say, like, that doesn't even make any sense to me. Like, I think he should be creepy. I agree he should appear, in all of his scenes with Laura Dern, he should seem super, like, innocent. He shouldn't Mm -hmm. sound creepy. But then he should seem creepy to you when he's doing the other things. You should feel that dichotomy of, like, you know, he's he's manipulative because he is and he feels he's played like a super innocent person, not someone who's coming across as innocent to be manipulative, but someone who's genuinely innocent. And to me, that's a problem because this character is not. Yeah, and he I, is mm-hmm. actually a fairly corrupt person. Yeah, he's doing things that nobody should be doing and that are obviously bad. Yeah. 
I'm not sure. He, I, I'm not sure. I agree that he comes off as completely innocent. And maybe innocent isn't the right word to use. Maybe naive is a better word. Because, like, you know, from right off the bat, from one of the earliest scenes, when he's walking through the field and he finds an ear, he's just like, "Oh, interesting," and he picks it up and he like puts it in a bag and he's like, "I guess I'll bring this to the police," which is like not a reaction that most people would have to that, right? It's a very kind of. Um, disconnected and emotionless kind of reaction to finding an ear it's not like what most people would have a more visceral response to that he's almost like a psychopath or something right he's got a little bit of that thing where he's like emotionally but it doesn't feel that way i think that's what i'm trying to say it doesn't feel yeah i totally agree with you in that scene i think there's moments where he does but yeah your overall impression of him is not that even in that scene, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. I totally agree with you that that scene, as written, could have been filmed in a way that made that character seem psychopathic. But the way that Kyle MacLachlan does that activity, it just looked like someone who's just a fairly muted person. And that I, if he had been much more matter-of-fact about it, like he walked up and was like, oh, an ear. Looked at it, like, kind of looked sort of, like, bemused, and then just puts it in a bag. All of a sudden, now I'm kind of weirded out. But the way he does it, he almost, he manages to make it completely convincing the entire time that this is just some random nice guy. And that, maybe that's an acting feat. Maybe it's hard to do that because these scenes are pretty weird. But to be honest, I don't want that. I think it it, it really didn't work for me in this movie. I wanted a much more like dynamic performance from him as well. Just like Dennis Hopper. I wanted to feel different things coming from him. And I only ever felt one thing, which is just like a sweet guy, just for some reason sneaking into this apartment, right? It just doesn't feel right. I I think, I think the big thing is just that feeling of like any sort of lack, a lack of agency. Like, even though he's making these choices, it somehow feels like he's not making any choices. And like, uh, that's weird. That's weird. Um, yes, because because again, he just seems like he just kind of goes, just goes from go, one yeah. thing to the next thing that it's just like, well, that's just what's happening now. And, the, you know, I mean, it's maybe it's an interesting choice in the abstract, but but in the context of this film, I just found that it was constantly making the movie worse f- for, for my viewing. Uh, yeah. That's all I can say. Yeah. You know, I think it, for me, it's also it comes back to that thing of like, it feels too straightforward you know, the everybody. It feels like everybody gets like a happy ending, and everything works out more or less. And yeah. we come full circle, and we see the scene again with the firefighter waving happily. And it's just like, I I don't know if I'm supposed to feel creeped out or not because that kind of ending feels genuinely like a happy quote unquote happy ending, right? Everybody gets what they're they they want. The bad guy gets killed, and. Uh, Jeffrey gets his, you know, he's sort of satisfaction of having solved this mystery. Yeah. And he gets the girl in the end. He gets his girlfriend. And the um, singer character yes, is reunited his, uh, with, with child her child. Yeah, and it's just like, everybody's happy. And I wanted it to just push into the sinister thing more. Um, like, I'm like, okay, you have this Robin with the bug in its mouth. And on the surface, that imagery is like really straightforward, right? We saw the bugs at the beginning of the movie and now we see this Robin and we were told explicitly like what the Robin symbolized in the story. And to me, that seems really straightforward, but I'm like, well, it's this transparently fake Robin. There's still this like sinister undertone feeling of the suburbs and, and 
Like, how are we supposed to feel? I just think the movie doesn't com- fully commit to, like, what it wants you to feel. I, I do think that, for me, I felt like the the fallout from him being in and, you know, a, a sort of sadomasochistic relationship briefly was not taken seriously. And that makes the movie feel kind of like it ends in a really boring way. If you had even done something very subtle, like at the end of the movie where they're in the kitchen looking at that Robin, if like he had looked down at like a knife uh, that was sitting like on the table or something and just like we show that shot or something just to show Mm. something that's like this character still thinks about harm in some way. Better to me would be if we just overtly did something messed up at the end, like she's got a bruise on her arm that's unexplained or something. Like, I would like to see something that made it like this is not over because it felt like it wasn't. And I didn't like that. It was just like, nope, he's totally fine now. I'm not I'm not here to say how you do it. I think I'm just I'm just like, look, I I come away feeling a little like let down by this ending because it feels too straightforward and ultimately doesn't really seem to support some of the events of the movie and so i don't know what the answer is obviously but um that's just my the impression i'm coming away with and i would have liked to have something much like mulholland drive gave me like so it it gives the viewer so much it's like I, I loved that movie because the entire movie is asking you to do a lot, is asking you to participate and to think. And it's giving you an opportunity to do so pretty much throughout the entire film. You can think about what those things were doing and why yeah. they were in the movie yeah. if you wish to. You don't have you to. You don't have to, yeah, yeah. But if you wish to, and they sort of, at least, you know, in my preferred way of looking at the film, they don't lead to a a single concrete answer either, yeah. which is nice because it just gives you something you can think about, but that's not about coming to some specific conclusion I, about yeah. like the twist of the film or something. Unless you take sort of the standard interpretation, which like I said, I don't like specifically for that reason. I think it diminishes yeah. the, the richness of the and film. I think, this movie doesn't have any of that. Yeah, and I think it's just... I think it's one of the things that David Lynch does best is the the ambiguity and uh, and sort of committing to being a little more out there. And this movie feels really safe, but in sections and then not and really bold in others. And it's just I don't know. It never it doesn't quite come together for me. So in the previous in Mulholland Drive, I think I said something along the lines of like, I don't see any Hitchcock influence in this movie oh well i mean this is like an explicit hitchcock reference i was gonna say so i would say the exact opposite for this yeah i felt a lot of hitchcock in this movie and i really didn't like it so this is another big complaint i have yeah i mean the 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 voyeuristic thing of of rear window is like directly borrowed for this movie i mean and i felt like vertigo uh the yes it it the first 45 minutes of this film feel exactly like vertigo to me very long and drawn out shots of activities we don't need to see. And it really just felt boring the same way that I felt like the, the first 40 minutes of vertigo are just straight up 
arduous to watch and I don't enjoy it. I actually felt that way about this as well. Even things that should have been incredibly interesting, finding an ear and taking it to the police station feel absolutely dull in this. And they feel dull in exactly the same way that Vertigo felt dull. And so when I think about now, I can totally see why David Lynch has mentioned Hitchcock as an influence. In Mulholland Drive, I'd be like, I don't see any Hitchcock anywhere in this film, to be honest with you. It's a reach. Like, I can... If I had to, because some professor told me I had to find it, I can do it. But I'm it's no closer to Hitchcock than it is to anyone else. This sure. movie oh, yeah. is like I felt the cock well, and, throughout the first 45 <laughs> minutes of this film. Well, not only that, I think the <clears throat> Vertigo, again, the um, the messed up relationship, yeah. the, the controlling relationship, right, as, as sort of like the core of this and this movie, movie. does it better. Yes. When that stuff starts getting going, it's way better than Vertigo because I have nothing positive to say about Vertigo. I thought it was basically bad the entire time. This movie has a lot of good bits in it. And so it's much better at that than Vertigo yeah. oh, is, yeah. to be clear. But I felt a lot of parts of it were very Vertigo-esque in that I just felt they were dull, stilted. I wasn't engaged. Things that could have been interesting weren't. And I felt like the beginning of this movie feels a lot like the beginning of Vertigo in exactly that way. So I'm glad he kind of ditched that because I think if Mulholland Drive had been more that way, I would have found it much less engaging. And Mm -hmm. Mulholland Drive ditches pretty much all of that grammar, the sort of like unnecessarily long, no dialogue, like antiseptic action sequences basically like let's watch this guy walk from a car to a door for a long time for no reason. Those sorts of things are gone in Mulholland Drive, I think and he, I think it's yeah. for the better, possibly because it was shot originally to be a TV show, maybe, I don't know, or maybe David Lynch just it matured in his style and decided com- that he didn't want that stuff, I, say, I don't know. Uh, to me, it seems like there's more of a confidence in it, where David Lynch has really embraced the, the Lynchiness, the, yeah. his style. He has such a distinctive way of, you know, yeah. way of thinking, obviously. Like, you see bits and pieces of... Like there's even so in the the the, the part where she's singing uh, in the club, she has a costume change. Yeah, unexplained. It doesn't. It, yep. It's unclear what happened. If it's if it if it's just meant to be, it's you know it could be as simple as oh we just want to show that time has passed and she's had an outfit change. <clears throat> but yeah. to me it, it feels unsettling. Like that that's so the sort of thing that in Mulholland Drive he really doubles down on is like the sort of like jarring filmmaking choices. The lack of continuity between scenes intentionally, right? Yeah. Um, stuff like that that's bold and creative and strange. And um, like that's what I really like about David Lynch. Like David Lynch doing a pretty straightforward story is like less interesting to me. And I think in this, he's like caught between, he's caught like halfway between wanting to make like a more straightforward picture and wanting to go toward his his sort of more like creative impulses i guess and i think it's pretty important that he does go towards those creative impulses because it seems to me like when he does straightforward stuff and i guess i should probably go back and watch the straight story someday i've seen it uh Mm -hmm. but that's like a completely a 100 percent straightforward movie uh He's just not great at it, I don't think. I don't think he's, you know, he doesn't have a a touch for that kind of filmmaking. Like, I'm just telling this story 
Um, I don't know who'd be the person you'd point to, but like a Barry Sonnenfeld or one of these guys who just like, yeah, yeah, I direct movies where it's just like, just a normal story. There's nothing, you know, we're not doing anything fancy, but we're just going to get the cuts not, right and the just, comedy it's right not and whatever. Where his strength is. That's not. He's, he doesn't seem good at it. So I feel like when he's not doing those other things, it's just not a very good and film. And I think I can see why, why the Hitchcock influence feels so strong in Blue Velvet too, because his own voice as a director is more muted in it. And so you're yeah. feeling his influences more. Maybe. Um, I don't hate Blue Velvet by any stretch of the imagination. I It's like a interesting movie for sure. Yeah, I didn't hate it, but I wouldn't say I liked it and either. I think I, I, and I also, you know, yes, I, I'd seen it before, but it's, it was so long ago. I, I hardly remember what my reaction was. But I think after seeing Mulholland Drive, I think it's particularly hard to go back and watch it because yeah. I think I came in with too many expectations. Me too. And I think also... Having listened to the David Foster Wallace interview was a bad idea because when you listen to that interview, you or when kind somebody of, says this movie changed my life or changed my way of thinking creatively, like you have really big expectations. Well, not really that. I, I mean, yes, that's true. But I meant more specifically him describing a scene that doesn't actually occur had put it in my head that this was a movie that did have a lot of like very blatant surreal cuts in it mm. when in actuality there are quite few right it does occur in the film and it is great when it happens but it's not common and certainly doesn't really happen with anything like what he's saying where characters come in and out of scenes magically or things like that i thought that was the kind of movie i was going to be watching in actuality the only time there's any non-temporal stuff is just that one cut where they leave the um the Frank's friend's place and they disappear. There are no other cuts. Everyone's always literally where they are in the entire film. And the only kind of cuts we get of that form are image superimposition where we're basically just like showing, you know, things like the fire or the candle or the bugs, but there's really no actual playing with the physicality of the scenes. Mulholland drive, I guess you could say doesn't do a tremendous amount of that either it's not like there's a ton of things in Mulholland Drive while people where people are like magically appearing and disappearing or anything like that so it's not like it needs to have this but Mulholland Drive has a great deal more uh authorial whatever you want to call the equivalent of that on the page people who you don't know who they are saying weird things at weird times in weird ways that then seem to make some sense as they go on None of that occurs in well, Blue Velvet. Yeah. So you're not only not getting the thing that David Foster Wallace seems to think happened in this movie but didn't, unless I missed something, but it also doesn't have the writing equivalent of that, which Mulholland has in spades. Well, I, I think, think that's what works so well for yeah, me. I think that I remember when we saw Mulholland Drive, we, we basically said, you know, it feels right. Like, even when you don't understand it, like, if you came out of that movie and were like, and I don't want to think about this movie again or anymore, it still feels like this coherent thing where everything kind of makes sense even though it doesn't make sense but blue velvet you come out of it and you're like even though it's way more kind of traditional as far as stories go it it doesn't really feel like it all comes together and yeah impressionistic painting i think is a really good you know touch point for these at least for me for what you're saying about something like mahan drive if you look at what happens with somebody like the cowboy for example I think it's a mistake 
to say, well, what does the cowboy represent or something like that? Or things like this that people latch onto when they talk about interpreting films in this way. To me, it's more like, well, if you looked at an impressionist painting, you wouldn't ask what this particular brushstroke represents because it doesn't represent anything. It's put there because when taken together with other things around where it is, it forms an image or a feeling to you if it works, if it's a good painting, right? Mm -hmm. And I think Mulholland Drive is the same way. What the cowboy is or what he says, it's not about finding some specific thing that we can say, this is what that means. It's more that you are trying to get the sense of these people controlling the director. And this is a way of us showing you or giving you that feeling. You don't need to know exactly why he's doing it or who he is or precisely what his word means. What matters is you come away with that feeling of being controlled. And that's exactly what it does. Just like the impressionistic brushstroke. And so to me, like that's, where, you know, when we talk about something like Mohan Drive being so great, and then we're like, well, Blue Velvet, eh. Blue Velvet felt like it, like you said, it has a little bit of that in those edits. It's got ways of doing that sometimes where it's it really gave me the sense that, oh, I got an emotion out of that. But in a lot of other places, I wasn't getting that that impressionistic brushwork that's so brilliant in something like Mulholland Drive. And it when it when we talk about David Lynch as a straightforward filmmaker, it's he's just not that great to me. It's just kind of boring. Not only is I think what his true skills are wasted, but I think he's also, as you say, not actually that good at it. So yeah, he he clearly was meant to do the other thing. Yes, he's not meant like in the same way that you could have someone who's very good at impressionistic painting who's very bad at painting an accurate self portrait for some or an accurate portrait for some reason. It just doesn't look that good, right? That's David Lynch. He can't paint something that looks like a photograph. He just doesn't have mm-hmm. that eye. But if he just lets himself go and is like, I'm going to paint what I feel like this looks like. All of a sudden, it's great. Yeah. And I think that's just that's just where he lives, I guess. I really love Mulholland Drive. And uh, I enjoy I even I enjoy Blue Velvet. Like, I enjoy the experience of watching his movies for those scenes that are um, Lynchian, like have that feeling. And, and uh, I, 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 he's a fantastic director, like one of the most unique sort of vo- auteur voices out there as far mm-hmm. as directors go. Mm-hmm. He's doing his own thing, and it's it's amazing. When and he you, writes all the screenplays too. Yeah, so, that's what I say. It's not, he's 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 kind of a more classic, true auteur. Like he is. Uh, and when his movies are best is when he's getting to do all of it. I think so. Um, yeah. Anyway, I don't have that much more to say. I think about Blue Velvet. It's an important movie. I think to look at in David Lynch's career, obviously, and and we obviously can't look at it in the context of that time period either what it would have felt like to a viewer at the time who hadn't seen a lot of you know more experimental art film this is definitely i know we are in art film month this movie really doesn't feel like an art film it has moments of of that but um it's kind of just art film anyway is just kind of like this broad nonsense category we just wanted to get some some different okay. kind of movies and i think i agree when i watched this i was like this is actually not that like, artsy and drive is is way more of an art film than blue velvet is absolutely um and i do think you know 
as movies go, Mulholland Drive is a very accessible art film, which I think is also one of the you know praises I would heap on it, is that it's it's a a very ambiguous, surreal, impressionistic kind of a thing, but that anyone, well, maybe not anyone, but that a lot of people could enjoy who would not enjoy a textbook art film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like a lot of textbook art films. Um, I think I, art, art film is just such a broad but category. I, you know what I'm saying, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that's also another thing, which maybe one thing I would say pause about Blue Velvet is coming from this angle, going from someone who made straightforward films and easing into the impressionism of it may have led to a more accessible film like Mulholland Drive that has those artistic elements but isn't just completely nuts, which is like sometimes art films can get really ridiculous and the audience is meeting you more, way more than halfway, right? Um, so, you know, maybe this route to Mulholland Drive was necessary too. Uh, it, you know, and so I, I don't know. But either way, not a huge fan of Blue Velvet, whereas I am a huge fan of Mulholland Drive, and I guess that's pretty much all I can really say. Agree with Roger Ebert's <laughs> review, where he said, like, when David Lynch tells us what he really thinks is going to be something special, I think he was talking about Blue Velvet when he wrote that, if, if and Mulholland true, Drive turns out the thing. That's really prescient, if that's what he said at the time, he because it, it turned out to be exactly true. It turned out to be exactly true, and then I think Roger Ebert gave you know Mahal and Drive five stars when he said like this is this is five stars. Four stars. <laughs> he loved it so much he, he gave it an extra star. He gave it the full star thing, if I recall correctly, and said like this is the film this we were I waiting wanted. for. Right? And so like Roger Ebert had David Lynch pegged, uh you know he 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 knew and he was right, I think. Yep. So anyway, we hope you enjoy Blue Velvet. Uh mm. it's definitely a movie worth watching. What's up next week, Anna? Rupert? So we're gonna uh we're gonna watch in the Mood for Love by Wong Kar Wai. Uh, right. I have had this movie sitting on my on my shelf for a long time, and I've just never watched it. I've seen like bits. Of, I, I think I started it once, but never got around to watching it. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. Believe it or not, I have seen a different Wong Kar Wai film. You would think that the first one you would see it was would In, in the, the Mood for Love, love yeah, yeah. but no. So we can talk about that next time. So I've never seen In the Mood for Love, even though... It will not be my first one car Y picture, which is well, a bit this, odd. I mean, obviously, In the Mood for Love, extremely famous Very famous. Film. It's, it's the one you would think you would have seen by him if you saw anything it's by him, true. right? But I haven't. So um, I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah. All right. We will uh, we'll see you next week. Take it easy, everybody. Bye.